0: Good morning. It's July 22nd. We are reading through the Bible in a year. Our Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 36 and 37, two Psalms of David, both about the unrighteous, about those who are fighting God, as the New Testament might put it, that they are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They are so systemically affected by the fall that they are in sync with sin. I mean, that's how it's uh, depicted here, even in the first line, transgression speaks to the wicked. Uh, They're flattering themselves, they're speaking to themselves in a way to keep unrighteousness in place to keep God at bay. At least that's their mindset. And all of that is a reminder for us to stay and be distinctive. Uh, I think of 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, the way that God has called us to be separate, or the book of Revelation, to come out from them and not be like the rest of the world, because the rest of the world is not um Friendly toward God. As a matter of fact, they're hostile toward God in the way in which they live. And uh, while that's a hard thing for us to think about, the bifurcation of all human beings, either into those who are pursuing God, loving God, submitted to God, and those that aren't, that's the way it's presented to us here in the psalm, and it's a good thing for us to remember. God is faithful to his people. We ought to be pursuing God and recognizing the strong distinction between us and the unrighteous. And um, there is an us and them about all of that that ought to uh, be always in our minds. Uh, We ought to remember that, not that we are uh, mean or cruel to those that are not saved. Matter of fact, we want to see them redeemed. As Paul said, he's willing to shed a lot of tears over seeing them step out from where they are and into fellowship with God through Christ. That's certainly our mandate and our mission. Uh, Psalm 37, another psalm of David about the unrighteous in many ways, and he says he was young and now he's old. So this is a psalm at the end of his life, and it begins by reminding us that all the non-Christians, all the from our perspective, all the ungodly out there, we might be tempted to envy in some way or be overwhelmed even by their unrighteousness, that it's hopeless. We the word that's used here is fret. We can often fret over the evildoers in our society. And the Bible says don't fret. And there's a lot of that in the theme of Psalms. We are not to be led to despair or frustration or fretting or even complaining about these things in a way that would characterize our spirit or our life. And uh, he says, because it doesn't last. In the end, God will have his day and will rectify what's wrong. He will bring equity and justice to the world. And so it never, ever um Pays for us in the long run to side with the world or to in some way throw up our hands and think God is not watching or God does not see. Uh, We need to know that the Lord is going to step in and we ought to be faithful. So two Psalms, Psalm 36 and 37, note how they both have that common theme of how we view the world and how we view those in the world that are opposed to God. Our New Testament reading is only 11 verses. It's where Paul addresses the Sanhedrin here as he uh, talks about his conscience and which is great and good conscience. He has uh, stated that, which is a big theme for Paul in his writings and his preaching, Um, I'll leave that for another time, but here in that good conscience that he has, he responds to uh, being directed to be hit, and uh, when he responds and calls the one who directed the beating, at least the smack on the face that he got, uh, he called him a whitewashed uh, wall, and when he was told that was the high priest, he retracted that. He quotes uh, Exodus 22 and says, I shouldn't have done that, and uh, even in that you show his concern about his his conscience. conscience was not clear because he disobeyed what the scripture says, and uh, so he he backpedaled. Didn't mean he was done with the verbal fight that he was in, because certainly there was a fight going on for the minds and hearts of those people that were holding him uh, in the barracks and holding him um, as a as an incarcerated uh, criminal for preaching the truth. But uh, he splits that group in half by looking at the Sadducees and Pharisees and knowing that the thing that would Tear them up and internally divide them Was the topic of the resurrection So he brings that up and that uh, splits the group And that was a very strategic and wise way To go about dealing with the struggles that he is facing And we'll see more as this unfolds in the rest of the chapter Our community imperative today Very simple from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse number 4 He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Very simple, but I'd love for you to thank God for the salvation of each other. Now again, we need to make sure we are saved. And if you are truly saved, you're repentant of your sins, you put your trust in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, right? And we can't say we're followers of Christ. We're not following Christ. That's the fruit of the Christian life. And you have other people in your life that are likewise following Christ. They've repented and trusted in Christ. Then you ought to spend time every day thanking God for their salvation. That's a big, tall order to say thank God every day for it. But let's make it a regular part of our lives. As you pray through your prayer list, if you've got Christians on that list, which I hope many of you do, lots of them, be sure you take a moment just to say, God, thank you so much for saving them, that they are participants in the grace of God in Christ Jesus, and that's a good practice for us just to be thankful for other people's salvation. Of course, it will provoke thanksgiving for our own, but that's a good, good practice, and I commend you today to thank God for the salvation of each other.